0: might be a Viking or a Saxon or a Roman But tell me, do you like him? Would you sex him? Would you bone him? Would you go to bed with King Ethelred? Would you bunk William the Conqueror up in the sheets with Samuel Pepys? Mussolini was a meanie, led a fascist insurrection But does he make you creamy? Does he give you an erection? Would you pork Richard the Duke of York? Does a bonus start when you think of Bonaparte? Are you sexually aroused at the thought of Pol Pot? Historical Hot or Not? Hello, and welcome to Historical Hot or Not, the only history podcast that looks at the life and times of history's most celebrated figures and asks, Yes, but would you? I am Aid McCaffrey, I am not a historian, and this is.
1: Catherine Mather, and I am also not a historian. But we are comedians, and we are horny for history. And today, we've got a guest, the first of many, hopefully, uh, Ignacio Lopez.
2: Thanks for having me on.
1: Are you a historian?
2: I'm not. also not a historian. (laughs) I feel like we're lacking in qualifications, but we're going to make up for it with enthusiasm.
1: Yeah. You better
0: not be slugging off this C I got in uh, A-level history, though, Ignacio.
1: <laughs> I actually wasn't allowed to take A-level history. That's how bad I was at it. So.
2: <laughs> well, it was, all, it was all a long time ago, wasn't it? So it's fine. It doesn't matter.
0: I mean, I'm hoping that one day this podcast will get to the point when people will go, Shall I listen to Dan Snow's history podcast? No. Shall I listen to Greg Jenner? No. I'm going to listen to that guy... Uh, that almost, almost flunked his, his A-levels in history, Aidan McCaffrey.
1: <laughs> and that girl who did flunk her A-level in history, Catherine Mather.
2: <laughs> Joined this week by uh, a comedian who never sat an A-level in hey. history, so we're, you know, we're getting there.
0: <laughs> so Ignacio, to people who don't know, uh, don't know about you, do you want to tell us about yourself, uh, what you do? Uh, and also perhaps yeah. your relation to history
2: sure uh, well i'm a spanish welsh comedian uh, i mean that's the simple version but i got family from all over the world and i i'm fascinated by aspects of history and i like to talk about them a bit in my stand up as well uh, so i talk in my last comedy album i talked about things like the spanish civil war uh, the armada uh, you know i try to make it really applicable to british people as much as i can you know they want they don't want to hear about the history of tapas they want to hear about Britain beating Spain uh, (laughs) just off the coast of France. That's what they want to hear about.
0: Yeah, that's how you win over a UK audience. Hey, remember that time you guys kicked our ass?
2: Well, I talk about it very flippantly. I certainly revise, you know, there's always different perspectives to history, isn't it? And I'm there to give them uh, another version of it, maybe.
0: Absolutely. You're first guest, and we did have a debate about to what extent do we cater to the guest. This one isn't hugely catered towards you, but the, a, an aspect of Spain's foreign policy and history does come into it a bit later.
2: Cool. I'm hoping to learn. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> oh,
0: well, you've, come to the, you've come to the wrong podcast if you're coming to learn. I'm just <laughs> putting that out there now.
1: We're here to objectify.
0: I'm sure Matthew knows, but do you want to explain to perhaps uh, new listeners what the format of historical Hot or Not is, Kath?
1: Of course, yeah. So each week, um, I mean episode, whatever, I still don't know the interval that these come out in. That's Aidan's territory. <laughs> uh, we discuss a certain figure from history. We begin with a superficial assessment. We just objectify the hell out of them. Uh, have a little look at the picture that they've used for their profile image on the, the historical data app that we use, eTrost. Uh, after that, we find out a little bit about the personality, see if that changes our opinion on them. Uh, and at the end, we'll decide whether we would bang them. And if they, if we would, they end up on the Bayer Tap that history. Uh, if not, we forget <laughs> they ever existed.
2: Do you have a pre-existing crush from history? I think classic Hollywood, I think, is probably my era of, uh, of crushes, both, you know, male and female. Good looking, good looking people done up the right way. That's kind of a bit of classiness to it. It's a very
0: tasteful answer.
2: Mm-hmm. Get, <laughs> is that not what we're going for? I can, I, I can get more filthy as we go along. I'll
1: be honest; <laughs> we we do have uh, our merchandise is uh, a, a range of condoms with our logo on it. So that's about the class Perfect. level. <laughs> <of> this podcast.
2: <laughs> well, there was a lot of uh, sexual d- diseases going around uh, classic era Hollywood, so mm-hmm. the Silver Age. So I think um, you know co- condoms would have done them some good. So if we could go back in time we should you know <laughs> distribute condoms amongst the amongst the starlets and the, the the stars of Hollywood
0: but there is a film in like Babylon the film that just came about the golden era of Hollywood and then just suddenly a spanish comedian from the future shows up with just a bag full of johnnies it's like guys i've got something that's really going to help you out in, in with your lifestyle
2: also think how many Nepo babies will stop yeah exactly <laughs> The, the Barrymore dynasty is no more. Oh uh, no, yeah, okay. I, I I withdraw my idea because I, you know, I'm a big fan of the Wedding Singer, and I yeah. don't wanna I don't wanna ruin that. ET, I can take it or leave it, but the Wedding Singer is a great movie.
0: Oh wow, you've opened with a controversial opinion there. That in the history of <laughs> cinema, you would eject ET, but the Wedding Singer stays. Adam Adam Sandler shouting at wedding guests that stays, but the beloved extraterrestrial. <laughs> Get out of my face!
2: I mean, it's just a big ripoff of Mac and Me, isn't it? That's what all it is. <laughs>
0: That's true. That's true. You called it. You called it. Kath uh, hasn't seen any films. No. Uh, so I'm quite. I'm quite glad to have a guest on who has.
1: They're too long. Films are far <laughs> too long. I like. I'm the kind of person that could not commit to a 90-minute film, but then we will sit through like three hours of Ted Lasso.
2: Yeah, this is why I don't watch as many TV shows, because I have to finish stuff. So if I start watching a TV show, I'm like, I have to watch the entire thing. Whereas a movie, I can be done in an evening. (laughs) I'm not going to be awake all night, you know, unless we're talking like Police Academy movies with so many sequels. I'm like, I'll be there well past dawn.
0: (laughs) I mean, yeah, the Police Academy series is very much the wire of... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> zany police comedies you've got a lot of commitment there you're talking my language i uh have this constant debate with my wife because she's she's like you kath she says oh but it's too much commitment but yet what she's proposing is be watch seven years of television yeah. you know what i mean in the in the form of some sitcom that was made in the 90s like, that's so much more commitment and it might end up be shit whereas a film could be shit but you know pretty quickly
2: well, you know, sometimes I think, uh, you know, as much as I hate the networks cancelling TV shows, I feel like sometimes they're doing people a favor. You know, when you get to kind of like season seven or something you're like this should have wrapped up three series ago. And then they cancel it and all the fans are like, no, please bring it back. I hope it goes to another channel or whatever. And I'm just like, no, let it die. <laughs> let it die. Watch a film.
1: Well, that's the other thing, isn't it? The Americans will make about 27 episodes a series. Whereas the Brits are like, Wild. it ran for 12 series and there were three episodes in each.
2: <laughs> There's more episodes of Scrubs, the TV show, uh, than there are doctors in the UK.
0: Historical, hot or not? If you would both like to open your e-trothed app, and by that I mean, Kath, can you text the image that I've just texted you to Ignatio? Because <laughs> I don't have his number. This is Theodore. In this photo, he is 26 and he is from New York. Uh, Ignacio, do you want to talk through the image we're looking at? Is this giving you erotic feelings or or not?
2: I mean, it's a very masculine image, isn't it? Uh, especially kind of like Western American kind of style of masculinity. He's got, uh, he's holding a rifle. Um, he's wearing what I can only assume is multiple garments made of the pelt of at least 16 different dead animals. <laughs> There's a lot of animal murder has happened to gone into this picture. Uh, I don't think that PETA are using this for their marketing, <laughs> or they are maybe I don't know. Uh, but yeah, he's got a mustache as well, which I'm a big fan of. If the viewers or listeners at home can't tell, uh, I'm Spanish, so I've had a mustache since the, the age of six. Uh, and this, this is yeah, it kind of it looks like a, a good-looking chap uh, with a with a nice facial hair going on there and a very stoic pose holding a rifle
0: I know you're not a big fan of moustaches are you Kath is is, is young Theodore winning you over to the Tash team
1: (laughs) you know the train to Tash City Um, no you know what I think it just takes a special type of face to rock the stash doesn't it and I think he manages to do it Uh, I'm liking the fringing as well that he's wearing on his clothes. It looks like he's going to a Fleetwood Mac concert.
2: <laughs> Not to shoot them, hopefully. I Hopefully it's just to enjoy the music.
0: <laughs> we'll get into this because he's obviously an urban man. His parents were quite rich. Oh, right. He's from the sort of elite suburbia, uh, but he was obsessed with like frontier life. So he would go out there to try and live that life. And he did it successfully. But mm. the the cowboys who lived out there, did respect that he could do the stuff, but they weren't actually that impressed with him. And I, th- I sort of suspect from with this look, this is like a Manhattanite's idea of what they would wear. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit like in Back to the Future 3, when Marty McFly goes back in time to the West and he's wearing like a pink cowboy outfit. <laughs> <laughs> we look at this and think, look at that brooding masculinity, but I'm not really sure the uh, cowherders of Western frontier America in the 19th century necessarily (laughs) necessarily had the same reaction to this that we did.
1: So to them he's just like popped into love your babes in the Arndale Center <laughs> that fancy dress shop across the uh, the way from uh, Argo
0: <laughs> Absolutely, one of those fancy dress packages and it's just got a, a model on the front like doing a cheeky
2: pose mm-hmm. in the cowboy outfit
1: Yeah, sexy cowboy. Way.
2: Maybe that's what he's posing for, maybe he <laughs> is like you know Smithies, that brand <laughs> that make like all of the rubbish fancy dress stuff, maybe he's like the original model for them.
0: According to Wikipedia, Theodore Roosevelt Jr. was born on October 27th 1858 the second of four children to socialite Martha Stewart Bullock and businessman and philanthropist Theodore Roosevelt Sr. Teddy's youth was marked by debilitating asthma. His family were cosmopolitan taking trips to Europe and Africa while he was a child. It was during a trip to the Alps he realised he could overcome his asthma with strenuous exercise. According to PBS.org TR he actually was nicknamed TR and I'm going to call him that for Mm -hmm. the sake of Brevity. TR had a lifelong interest in zoology, which began at age seven when he saw a dead seal at a local market after <laughs> obtaining the seal's score.
1: <laughs> no, no, it's just a mental thing to think at seven. Oh look, a dead seal. This is gonna be my life now.
0: <laughs> I think it's a really natural thing, because I think as a kid your kids sort of are quite morbid in a weird way. And if you saw a seal's head it would blow your head off. Yeah. It would blow the steel's head off, change your life.
1: David Cameron would put his dick in it, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, it?
0: Well, would, at it, it, this time, it would be um, William Gladstone putting his dick in the seals' head. But anyway, <laughs> Roosevelt and two cousins formed what they called the Roosevelt Museum of Natural History after he obtained the seal's head. (laughs) Having learned the rudiments of taxidermy, he filled his makeshift museum with animals that he killed or caught. He then studied the animals and prepared them for exhibition. At age nine, he recorded his observations of insects in a paper entitled The Natural History of Insects. Ignatio, what is the most significant paper that you wrote (laughs) pre-puberty?
2: Oh man, I was mainly just drawing pictures of Batman. (laughs) You know, like I wasn't... Like, that's quite impressive. I mean, say what you will about how annoying it is kids are on, like, Minecraft and stuff all the time, 24-7 these days. Uh, but at least they're not stuffing dead animals <laughs> and presenting them <laughs> and writing papers about it. I'm sure that's the early signs of a psychopath, yeah. right? is that not-
1: <laughs> This is the problem, isn't it? Rich parents and kids. Don't be supportive. <laughs> yes. Do not support this shit. <laughs> like
0: Discourage their weird interests. Get him a xylophone.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Just no, I'm not taking the dead seal head home. I don't care how much you <laughs> cry. <crying.
0: laughs> My dad was very much one of his dads who was like, when I was a kid, I had a stick and that would entertain me for the rest of the afternoon. Reading this, I'm, I'm actually, I'm one generation removed from, from his dad and their dads who are like, When I was a kid, all I needed to entertain myself was a dead seal's head, and that would keep me (laughs) occupied for a good week. (laughs) According to History.com, Sarah Watts, the author of Rough Rider in the White House, T.R. was the product of being labelled a wimp by his father. T.R. was homeschooled and later attended Harvard and Columbia Law School, but dropped out to become a politician. According to William Roscoe Thayer's Theodore Roosevelt, an intimate biography, and David Maiden's Theodore Roosevelt, T.R. disregarded the advice of a doctor who, upon his graduation from Harvard, said that he should avoid strenuous activity and get a desk job. Instead, T.R. took up exercise in the form of boxing, tennis, hiking, rowing, polo and horseback riding. As governor of New York, he boxed with sparring partners several times a week, a practice he regularly continued as president until one blow detached his left retina, leaving him blind in that eye, a fact not made public until many years later. He also practiced jiu-jitsu and continued his habit of skinny dipping in the Potomac River during winter. Ignacio, are you a sportsman? Uh, Do you like strenuous activity or do you prefer to uh, deadlift the television remote control each evening as you channel hop
2: looking for the best cookery show this i mean i enjoy sport i don't really play much anymore but this this really sounds like he was overcompensating for something as soon as his dad called him a wimp and that was his nickname he was like well i'll tell you what mate i'm gonna i'm gonna do every sport i'm gonna get my eyeball punched (laughs) off you know that's what he, he went out he's clearly trying to prove something and you know fair play to him it sounds like Sounds like he got there.
1: Well, I love that being president isn't enough. He got, got his eye punched out during the presidency.
0: <laughs> he was in charge of the most powerful office in the land and emerging one of the most powerful offices in the world. And he's just in the in the back room. Having boxing matches with with the with the kitchen staff.
1: This'll show you, Dad. Well, it, <laughs> it,
2: it beats writing legislation, doesn't it? Because that stuff can be boring, oh, yeah. you know.
0: So, Kath, we learned that that uh, Theodore Roosevelt, when he became president, used uh, to skinny dip in the Potomac River. Uh, how would you feel, Kath, if your Instagram feed was full of images of Joe Biden skinny dipping in Martha's Vineyard, or? Richie Sunak having a nude swim in the Thames—is this—is this a world leader material or not? The
1: thing is, he looks much hotter in that photograph, doesn't he, than uh, Biden and Sunak currently. So yes. I, I mean, if he's—if that photograph version of Theodore Roosevelt is getting his knob out.
0: Sure. It's not, though. No. He did put on a few pounds before he became became president. So I don't think you're getting that hot young rancher look.
1: See, that's disappointing.
2: Imagine how big he'd been if he hadn't played all those
0: sports. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. This is what I don't get about the guy. Like, if you just do a general Google image search on Theodore Roosevelt, because I'll just say, well, this episode, I'm just going to focus on his pre-presidency just because otherwise he'd be here forever. Yeah, you Google the he's like a fairly big guy. What calories were being burned? Or, you know, how much food was he eating to sort of make up for all the effort that he was losing from the 17 sports he seemed to be practising at any one time?
1: But then, I guess it's a different kind of uh, physique, wasn't it then? In that, like, yeah. nobody lifted weights, you'd go boxing, or like, you would do just, Instead of, like, now we go on treadmills rather than running and shit. Like, they were just in the real world doing real things and looked like real people.
0: It's interesting how, like, the ideal of masculinity in terms of physical strength changes. I saw an image of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine throughout the US, a role he's been playing for 20 years now. Fuck off. And And he's playing him again in the next Deadpool film. In the first X-Men film, Hugh Jackman is strong but in a sort of slightly beefy way. And by the time he gets to like X-Men Days of Future Past, it's that really like thing where every muscle has been like articulated, you know, every peck is visible and he's just like bulging with veins. And I just think it's interesting how the idea of what a strong man is can sort of change over time.
2: It's quite an interesting example as well, because uh, I think Hugh Jackman's body has done sort of what happened to comic book art as well. So if you look like a original comic book art, everyone's just, you know, the the drawings were much simpler. You've got like some muscles kind of like showing and stuff. And when we got into like the 90s, the extreme era, when, you know, all of these artists like Rob Liefeld and stuff were doing, These huge, like veiny images and stuff over that transformative thing. That's what's happened to Hugh Jackman's body. So, if anything, uh, he's following the canon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you reckon after the first X
0: Men film, some fans complained, like, it's not comic accurate? And they were like, Hugh, we've got to, you've got to push those veins out. The the, the comic book fans are complaining. Uh, According to encyclopedia.com, the late 19th century shift from manual labor to, sorry, manual labor and frontier expansionism to professional careers and urban living created a paranoia about what America's next generation of manhood would look like. Roosevelt actively tried to create a new model for masculinity that combined education, physical strength, and rugged individualism and urged men to copy his model. This is kind of what we're talking about, isn't it? We'll get into this. I am a little bit of a weedy nerdy man, but when you read about the the sort of industrial change that's happening at this time I can almost see why they're a bit paranoid about it like oh my god like if men are just going to be in offices at desks what are they going to look like this this is what they're going to look like (laughs) they're going to they're going to look like an administrator from South Leeds in the year 2023 and uh, I can see why Roosevelt was paranoid about that
1: Mm, they were right to be worried weren't they
0: According to the personal diary of Theodore Roosevelt, he married socialite Alice Hathaway Lee in 1880. Their daughter Alice Lee Roosevelt was born in 1884. In the next 48 hours after the birth of the daughter, his mother, Martha, died of typhoid fever, and then the elder Alice, a new mother, died of kidney failure. Oh my so Roosevelt lost, yeah, he lost his mother and the mother of his kid and his wife within 48 hours.
2: But did he stuff them and present
0: them? <laughs> <laughs> We've got a new one for the museum, lads. <laughs> You're never going to have two like this, trust me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> At least he got to relax afterwards, though, with that newborn baby. That's not stressful. <laughs> Is it in anywhere?
0: Young uh, children who've just been born are noted for the serenity they bring into your life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're
1: not very needy.
0: (laughs) Having lost his wife and his mum within 48 hours, Roosevelt wrote a large X on his diary and then wrote, the light has gone out of my life. I don't know about you two, I wouldn't write an X because I think if I came back and read it, I'd struggle to remember why I wrote it.
1: Really? On the day that your mum and wife died? And daughter was born? You'd struggle to remember that bit, would you, Eden? I think it's too
0: cryptic. <laughs> I know what I'm like. As a stand-up, I write notes. The note will say something like, Airplane, Q," And I can't remember exactly what the joke is. If I wrote an X, I'd be struggling. You've got to be clear. It's got to say, Wife and mum died. Too sad to box, hike, row, ride horses, <laughs> or stuff animals. It's got to be clear.
2: I thought you said he wrote an X, as in he wrote a letter to an X. He was like, my missus is dead now, so what do you think about rekindling this old romance? Let's you know, take it back. Hey,
0: maybe, hey. maybe I have misread it, and maybe that's what he did. <laughs> um, according to Henry William Brands' TR, The Last Romantic, Following his personal tragedies and a split with his party in the 1884 election, he built a ranch in North Dakota called Elkhorn. He learned to ride Western style, rope and hunt, reorientated and began writing about frontier life for national magazines. He also wrote and published three books, Hunting Trips of a Ranchman, Ranch Life and The Hunting Trail and The Wilderness Hunter. Uh, I built an online Roosevelt frontiersman title generator online, guys. (laughs) And it came up with Ranching and How to Ranch, <laughs> Hunting and Ranching, A Guide to Hunting and Ranching, Ranchman Returns, Ranchman Forever, Ranchman and Robin, Ranchman Begins. And <laughs> the last one was Falling Off the Rancher Tree and Hitting Every Ranch on the Way Down, How to Make It Really Clear That You're Really Into Ranching. Those are the <laughs> alternative TR book titles that I've came up with. Ignacio. Are you outdoorsy? Do you camp? Do you hike? Are you at home in the mountains and lakes or is the concrete jungle your preferred stomping ground?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up on an island. I like uh, I like the beach, you know, but I'm not, I wouldn't describe myself as an outdoor person at all. Like, you know, I like to be out in the sun and stuff, but I very much like the home comforts that uh, that a city or, you know, some kind of infrastructure could bring. Camping is just, you know, why I don't understand why anyone would choose to do that. There's no electricity, there's no microphones. I couldn't do my job properly. You know, that's what I need. I need to have that kind of access. I do want to point out as well. I also read, actually, coming back to it, um, Theodore Roosevelt's cookbook, uh, which was called "Dousing Everything in Ranch Sauce." <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm one of those people who, when I read about people like Roosevelt, or, or in fact, watch, say, any kind of survivor kind of show like Ray Mears in the Wild immediately thinks yes i'm an outdoorsman i could do that and then manifests itself by me immediately googling motorhome you know what i mean like i'm not really i've got a very 21st century idea of what being an outdoorsman's like and it's basically being an indoorsman but you just happen to be on wheels close to a
2: lake i do think uh you know you do kind of adapt to your environment and what what you grow up in and stuff like this and Especially now because I'm a, a stand-up comedian, I, I kind of judge anything based on that. So if I walk into a room, you start making, uh, like kind of, you know, start map out your survival uh, chances and you're kind of like optimizing it. So you kind of walk into a room and you're thinking like, where's the audience at? What's the sound like? You know, what kind of, what's the environment, this kind of stuff. So like going outdoors, doing an outdoors thing, you go out there, you go, oh, this gig's going to be shit. Like, look, look at the size of this ceiling. It goes all <laughs> the way up to the sky, you know, it wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a fun gig at all.
0: I'm not letting you count doing a gig at Birmingham Glee as being uh, an outdoorsman, (laughs) Matthew, Sorry. I'm not counting. no. no. According to History.com, inspired by Roosevelt's pains to the cowboy, the writers Wister and Remington collaborated on an 1885 essay in Harper's Monthly called The Evolution of the Cowpuncher. Cowpuncher (laughs) is, (laughs) I had to look this up, it's just another term for cowboy.
2: I thought it was a euphemism. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, I tell you. I went slightly related. I was in a pub in uh, Shaw, which is uh, back in in Lancashire, and uh, there was a lady in there and she got uh, her hand in a cat's. And uh, I was just at the bar just making just making a you know conversation. Oh, what happened there? And she went I punched a horse in the face because it was looking at me funny. <laughs> what the fuck? And uh, <laughs> broke her fist. <laughs> Wow. I think she learned a valuable
0: lesson <laughs> Don't... about taking on horses.
2: And the horse didn't even flinch. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't punch barn at farm animals in the face.
0: I do like the term cowpuncher. I think farmers should now have similar names like uh, cowpuncher, pig wrestler, horse lamper, <laughs> sheep decker.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the direction they should go in.
2: Chicken kicker, you know. It makes sense.
1: <laughs> Mutton twatter.
2: <laughs> Mutton
0: twatter wins. Um, according to the nationalparkservice.gov, in 1886, Roosevelt served as a deputy sheriff in Billings County, North Dakota. Oh, by the way, this period is when the photo is from that I, that I showed you at the beginning. He reportedly chased three bandits up an icy Missouri River when they stole his boat, hunting them down over two weeks with two colleagues When he eventually caught them, he removed their shoes, which then was a replacement for the lack of handcuffs, as being barefoot in cactus country is effectively immobilising them. Uh, And he did all this as a point of principle. He could have just let them go, but he was like, no, I want my boat back and I want them to pay for the crime. On this two-week trip, he took with him coffee, flour, bacon, and a copy of Anna Karenina, which he read on horseback on the way
1: back. Isn't it dangerous reading a book on a horse, though? Is that not the equivalent of, like, reading a book while you're driving? Like, What if the horse just goes wherever?
2: What if you don't notice that the horse is, like, looking at the woman weird and she comes <laughs> over and punches it in the face? Yeah. Like, you've got to be aware. <laughs> These things have, <laughs> this potential for this happening. <laughs> Roosevelt wouldn't have seen that woman coming because he's too busy in his
1: Tolstoy. Exactly. Story.
0: I think the trick is to read the book to the horse. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. You've got to involve them in it. Yeah. The horse also wants to know about 19th century Russian nobility. Yeah.
2: (laughs) If you're well-trained enough, and obviously he's been riding horses since, you know, a child or whatever, when he got into it. So he's going to be very well-versed in in doing all kinds of manner of stuff, equestrian sort of activities. Uh, But reading, that's really showing off, isn't it? That's the kind of thing, you know, like the kid riding a bike, was kind of like ah no hands imagine if he was then reading some Tolstoy you know that's a very that's another level altogether
0: I bet as well he wasn't even sitting there. I reckon he was standing upon the horse reading Anna there <laughs> all the way back It's yes. like lads lads you, are you getting this said, yeah yeah yep yeah, Teddy we saw you standing up you're reading the like Tolstoy yeah we get it Jesus listen
1: gosh. dickhead there is no way that you're keeping track of all of those Russian names <laughs> <laughs> whilst riding a horse
0: Morris Edmund, in The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt, said that his herd of cattle and half of his investment was wiped out by one severe winter, so he went back to New York. According to the historian Catherine Forslund, he remarried his childhood friend, Edith Kermit Caro, and they had five children. Edith was, incidentally, at his first wedding to to the woman that sadly died.
2: That's the ex he wrote (laughs) to.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Dear Edith. The wife's gone, and you'll never guess what I can do on the back of a horse. (laughs) (laughs) He later became president of the Board of Commissioners, where he appointed recruits based on their physical and mental qualifications rather than political affiliation and closed corrupt police hostelries. Uh, This was based on 19th century progressivism, which was kind of about meritocracy and professional administration. Still active in Republican politics, he was assigned by President William McKinley to be the Assistant Secretary of the Navy. While doing his job, he helped organize the naval war against Spain in the 1898 Spanish-American War. He then quit his job to join a volunteer cavalry called the Rough Riders, who helped drive the Spanish out of Cuba in the decisive battle of San Juan Hill. Ignacio, you are of Spanish descent. Do you know much about the
2: Spanish-American War of 1898? I know a little bit about it. You know, this has put a bit of a dampener on my feelings about this guy, because uh, that the loss of that war it kind of spun Spain into a bit of a decline for a long time. It's kind of what pushed them towards fascism, and was one of the main causes of the Spanish Civil War. So... I mean, if anything, this guy helped the fascists. You know, that's what I'm trying to put out there. You know, that's all I'm saying.
0: Can that be put on Roosevelt? Because I think from their view, uh, Spain were being fairly unpleasant to the Cubans. They had um, concentration camps going on. Uh, obviously, I don't want to make it seem too simplistic. It wasn't totally a some kind of war of noble intervention. Because ultimately, they then spent the next 30 or 40 years kind of lording it over the Cuban economy and taking large percentages of sugar trade
1: and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, and as we know, like America and Cuba are now the best of friends, so it all worked out mm. okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: They've never done anything bad to uh, yeah. Cuba, have
2: they, America? No, it's, uh, Spain are definitely the bad guys in most of their historical um, interactions with other nations, so I'm not making any, <laughs> any excuses <laughs> for them whatsoever. We're not even good you know, to our own people in history, like the Spanish Civil War. <laughs> Uh, it was a bit of a mess, but... Um,
0: well, yeah. I'm not saying you, you're you right, but then, I suppose if we're getting into that,
2: aren't all countries dicks to their own people at some point? Exactly, yeah. So, you know, it, it's kind of, I think it was just America's turn. By winning that war, they took the mantle of, like, the Spanish colonial sort of uh, past and history and, and their actions and just ran with it for a few decades. I don't know, are yeah. they still going? I don't know. Is America still a country? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I am going to give you 10 history points because you're right. It was the sort of start of Spanish decline. I think it's sort of been building up for a while.
2: We'd lost a lot of territories, like, you know, places they'd colonized before and treated very badly, obviously. Uh, but things like, uh, you know, losing parts of South America and, you know, the Caribbean islands, some of them. And, you know, just all of these different places and places where we did terrible things. And it was the real point where they lost their, their wealth from abroad and the stuff that they were pillaging. So that was a point where, as a national identity, Spain really started the question like what what even are we if we're not?" the biggest bad guys in the world anymore. (laughs) We have to try and figure out who they were.
0: Who then became the biggest bad guys in the world. I think the Brits were very much like, Spain, hold my drink.
2: (laughs) They were like, hold my tea. No, don't give it to America. They're going (laughs) to chuck it in the water again, for goodness sakes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, hold my Darjeeling tea. We've got a good half century of being absolute assholes left in us. We got this. According to History.com, Mark Twain said, of TR, Roosevelt is clearly insane and insanest upon war and its supreme glories. I think he is a bit insane. Roosevelt! He quit his job as the assistant secretary of the Navy to go and join this volunteer cavalry. They have to send a volunteer cavalry because the American military was actually quite badly organized at this time. Maybe this is the wrong thing to say in front of you, Ignacio. I've sort of always had a perverse admiration for the fact that he went and fought it because just politicians don't do that. You know, we're at war now. Imagine if the UK foreign secretary, James Cleverly quit his job to go and fight in Ukraine. I'm not saying he should. (laughs) But I do sort of feel like there's a certain courage to TR going, I think we should be at War with Spain. And then once we are at War with Spain, I'm going to go to Cuba and actually fight them myself. I'm going to get
2: involved. He did it as well whilst reading Tolstoy as well, which really started <laughs> with Putin to do it all.
0: He'd finished Karenina <laughs> by that point, and uh, he'd moved on to, ironically, war and peace. Yeah. Very much only interested in the first half of that book. The battle they won, so this is the Battle of San Juan Hill. It wasn't actually that hard a battle. The Rough Riders vastly outnumbered the foe, but Roosevelt did put himself in crossfire. Ignacio Something that often comes up on this podcast when we're discussing leaders from history, wars, they fought, is what would our role in war be? If I had to go, I'd want to be in the kitchen a good few miles from the front with some fucking massive air defenders on.
2: That's how I see myself in the war. Would you go to war? If I had to, uh, I probably just something to do with morale. You know, I'd be on the front line just trying to crack jokes, just trying to entertain the troops, just trying to keep them happy.
0: You very much see yourself as uh, Bing Crosby yeah. in any
2: war war situation. Yeah, definitely.
0: You mentioned the Spanish Civil War earlier. That 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 is an interesting war because it fired up political partisans all around the world, didn't it? And you had, like, people from England going to fight in it because they viewed it as this great battle. If I'm correct, correct me if I'm wrong, like, between socialism and fascism. Orwell. Yeah, Orwell went, didn't it? You wrote a book about it.
2: Was it an ode to Catalonia, wasn't it? I believe so. Do you reckon you would have uh, gone? or uh, would, you, would you have fought in it or what? I think so. I mean, I think it's important to stand up for what you believe in. I don't think I'd lend much in terms of like skills in a kind of like military kind of way, but anything I could do to help. I could, you know, design anti-fascist posters. I've got a bit of an artistic <laughs> kind of flair to me. I could maybe do some of that.
0: I do like the idea of you just showing up <laughs> in the Spanish Civil War and being like, don't know if you guys have had a Photoshop, but this old guy, <laughs> bit of a dab hand. So if you want some anti-fascist posters creating, just let me know. I'll just be sitting over here uh, with, with, my, with my MacBook.
1: Don't worry, guys. I've got those old T-shirts printed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> guys, you're, i got my guitar. I don't know if you've heard of the Manic Street Preachers, but they wrote the song about this very war that's taking place. <laughs>
0: Historical, hot or not? According to History.com, the Rough Riders were the physical manifestation of Roosevelt's new masculine ideal. A mix of hardened frontier riflemen, skilled horsemen and Texas Rangers, plus elite athletes from eastern colleges, including championship quarterbacks and steeplechase riders. Basically, the Winklevoss twins from the social network must be so glad they weren't born 100 years earlier. They're just getting into fights over who created Facebook. If they'd have been born 100 years later, Roosevelt would have been like... You two stopping in, lads. Come with me. We're going to Havana.
1: Can you ride a horse?
0: <laughs> well, on that subject, Ignacio, what is the most essential tool to qualify as a cavalryman? Is it horse riding? Yes, it's horse riding. <laughs> Yeah. According to Wikipedia, the Rough Riders under Colonel Leonard Wood became known as Wood's Weary Walkers as despite being cavalry, <laughs> they they ended up fighting in Cuba as infantry because their horses were not sent there with them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what the fuck?
2: Well, how would they? Very stressful trying to get the horse on a boat.
0: No, what they should have done was <laughs> they should have done it like in World War II just parachute the horses in. <laughs> send, a, send the riders in on a boat so when they get there the horses are just waiting for them, confused under the
2: tarpaulin of the parachute. My, I don't know how good my history is, but like, were there aircrafts back then that could like <laughs> airdrop horses into a, into an enemy enemy battle? Uh,
0: as we said, we're comedians, not historians. Yeah,
2: cat- cat- catapult—that's an old thing, right? They could have just catapulted yeah.
0: horses. Yeah. <laughs> We do expect the listeners to do a little bit of their own homework after the episode. Hey, Nathia, we're talking a lot about masculinity and Theodore Roosevelt, partly out of something to prove, but then also because he does become this national figure, this global figure. He's trying to, like, manufacture a new ideal of masculinity. Where do you stand on masculinity? Are you comfortable in a rugby crowd, or do you prefer the serene calm of a Jane Austen book club? Or am I being too heteronormative even by asking this question? What do you think?
2: Uh, I think you are and you need to check yourself. <laughs> no, I think yeah. I think um I think masculinity for me is being you know, comfortable in who you are. And this guy, you know, it sounds like he's trying to prove something to his dead dad. Um yes. <laughs> called him a wimp.
0: Uh absolutely. Uh Kath, what level of masculinity is the right level of masculinity for you as a hetero cock hunter.
1: Thank you for using my preferred title.
0: <laughs> in basically in the Goldilocks man scale, which protein shake porridge is just
1: right. <laughs> See, I don't I mean I I've, I've got a bit of stand up about this. I don't like the whole muscular person. I just think I want someone that I could overpower, you know, if it <laughs> if it went wrong. Um uh, not overpower, but at least be evenly matched. You know, I don't. I don't want someone that is just a just muscles and has the personality of that grey outline of a person that's your Facebook <laughs> profile picture. Before you put a picture of you up, you know. Like I, I'm into dudes, so I like a certain amount of masculinity, but also like it is kind of uh, tiresome. Isn't it when you get the gym bros that won't wipe their own asshole because it's too close to being gay? Or like, <laughs> you know, you're just like, Jesus Christ, just have a cry, hug your dad. What are you trying to prove? It's it's boring.
0: I've always described myself as hyper masculine. Uh, I will. <laughs> pick food out of my teeth on public transport with a bear knife. Mm -hmm. I like to sing aggressive football chants during two-minute silences. (laughs) Uh, I have memorised the price of diesel at every petrol station with a 10-mile radius. And if anyone criticises me, I will whine about it on my Freedom of Speech podcast, which I call Woke Me Up Before You (laughs) Go-Go. I'd call it the sister podcast, but I'm too masculine. It's the brother podcast.
1: (laughs) Walk me up before you go-go, and then underneath in brackets, trigger warning. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs)
0: Race. Theodore Roosevelt. According to Wikipedia, Roosevelt gave a speech convincing delegates to nominate the African-American John Lynch, John R. Lynch, to Be the temporary chair of the 1884 Republican National Convention. According to the Black History of the White House by Clarence Lessain, Roosevelt, while governor of New York, frequently had black guests to dinner and he sometimes invited them to sleep over. Kath, have you ever tried to improve local race relations by inviting people of colour over for sleepovers?
1: I don't ever want anyone to sleep over at my house. I hate having people in my house. <laughs> I don't understand why people have house parties. I just. I had one once and I just wanted everyone to go home and they stayed for hours. And that, that's my favourite thing about a party. I, I can go home whenever I want. <laughs> and if you're having it at your house, if you've got guests at your house, they'll never go home. You can't leave. They're just there. So no. But it's not. I wouldn't invite people over, but it's nothing to do with race and everything to do with the fact that I hate having people in the house.
0: <laughs> I'm going to interpret that as you'd rather <laughs> your neighbourhood descends into racial unrest than just have one person uh, sleep on You know ears. what? That's what I'm
1: as long it. as I can lock my fucking door and pull the curtains too, I do not <laughs> care what's going on outside.
0: <laughs> Ignatio, have you ever tried to improve local race relations by inviting people of colour over for sleepovers?
2: I haven't, but strangely I've got the... So my granddad, who was Irish, and lived in South Wales, married a a Welsh lady, my grandmother. Uh, He used to just go out and he was such a, you know, wanted to kind of be welcoming and and nice to people. He'd bring people around after going out drinking, like all the time. And like, you know, he'd bring them back and sort of like get my grandmother, you know, to make food for them and stuff. And they'd all like hang out and everything. And once uh, my mother was telling me that, he used to just on the way driving back from wherever he used to maybe work or something like that. If he spotted someone like just in, in a kind of bit of a bit of a situation, like if the car had broken down or anything like this, or travelers, uh, he'd try and help them out. He'd put it, you know, take them home, feed them, that sort of thing. And there was a couple of guys once, uh two guys visiting uh the UK from Nigeria and he took them home and my grandmother just got really sick uh, of him like bringing people back all the time cause he'd get them up and he'd be like, oh, can you cook some food for my new friends from Nigeria and all this kind of stuff? <laughs> and it just it got to the point where my grandmother just started like locking the door so he couldn't even get in when he was getting back <laughs> home from going to the pub. And I think that's where the sign originates: uh, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. I think that's where my grandmother put that sign up.
0: And that grandmother's name was Catherine. <laughs> According to History.com, TR himself said, "...the only wise and honourable and Christian thing to do is to treat each black man and each white man strictly on his own merits as a man, giving him no more and no less than he shows himself." Worthy to have. We're not covering his presidency. Maybe we can cover it in a future episode or something. It's not like fully straightforward, his views on race. He's all about meritocracy and he's all about rugged individualism and people sort of making their own way. And in that sense, he is a bit of a classic, like, small C conservative. Although he is fairly progressive racially, when he becomes president, he doesn't really do that much to improve the lot of black people. In a way, he doesn't really do that much to improve lot of anyone in terms of welfare, because he is just, he's not small government necessarily. He actually does some very impressive things as president, like he's really into trust busting, which is breaking up monopolies. And he protects like swathes and swathes of countryside as national parks, more than anyone had done up to that point as president. So he's quite into being active as government, but that idea we have of modern progressivism and what that means politically in terms of you help demographics break free from whatever is holding them back, that's not in his head. So he basically thinks, yep, yeah, black and white people can be equal, but he doesn't really do fuck all <laughs> to do it. So make of that what you will. <laughs> Kath. It's 1899, mm-hmm. the new century is about to kick in, mm-hmm. and a young 41-year-old war hero called Theodore Roosevelt wants you. <sighs> do you bang him? Based on everything you've heard up to this point, we won't count this presidency because it's not happened yet, do you bang this weird man who has a lot to prove? What do you say?
1: It's difficult, isn't it? Because if just on the picture, hell yeah.
0: Very handsome.
1: Yeah, yeah, very handsome. But he sounds fucking tiresome, doesn't it? It really does. If I had any luck, I'd be like his first wife and i get to check out early. But (laughs) I I fear I'd be like his second one and you'd be five kids deep thinking, God, I wish he'd shut up. I wish he'd just (laughs) ride into the frontier and never come back. I think I'd, I'd shag him, yeah, but I wouldn't want to spend time With him. You know, when you go on a date with somebody who's hot and then, and they're trying to tell you about themselves, and you're like, no, (laughs) no, no, I don't, no, I don't want to know about you because then you'll turn me off. I just.
0: (laughs) Kathy, you're you're introducing an odd distinction that I don't think we've introduced before. This isn't Shagamari Avoid. You are saying he's hot, right? You would bang him, you just wouldn't.
1: It'd be a cheeky bang and go. One and done. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Ignacio, I actually don't know uh, what your sexual orientation is.
2: Well, I try to keep an open mind. I, I th- I'm broadly, you know, I'm straight, but I, I try to think about things. Uh, you know, if I, you know, I've got uh, I've got man crushes and stuff. I would. He is a he's a very good looking guy in this image. You know, he looks very striking, uh, very masculine, like you think. He's definitely, uh, you know, shaken off the nickname his dad gave him. I think with everything he's done. Um, would I bang him? No, because I think I would genuinely fear for my own safety. The guy <laughs> sounds certifiably insane I think Mark Twain's assessment of him was very accurate and I don't also I don't know how this guy would feel about having a, rela- a romantic situation with a Spaniard so I wouldn't even want to <laughs> I wouldn't even want to get into that scenario as as progressive as he was on certain race things I think he's probably got you know uh, a, <laughs> a bit of a, a splinter in his side about uh, about the Spaniards maybe so I, I'm, I'm gonna tap out on that one I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get involved
1: You just have to put an accent on the whole time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I kind of went into this thinking that I would
0: definitely bang him because he's like he is one of my favourite people from history, not because I necessarily agree with everything he did, but he's just such a fucking mental character. And I like the fact that he does seem to have the courage of his convictions, if not too much the courage of his convictions. I actually do think I'm going to say no, though. I sort of talked myself out of this in the process of writing this episode. And the reason I'm saying no is... I don't know what a 19th century masculine view of sex would be. Mm. Like, I think a modern masculine view of sex is like aggressive, inelegant pumping with some choking thrown in whether she wants it or not. I suspect TR probably made love with spurs on whilst also ripping the hide off an elk. <laughs> and I'm just not sure. I'm not sure if I want that in my bed.
1: The thing is, from my perspective, uh, it's safe to say that most of the potential suitors that you've brought to me, Aidan, would not really care about my experience in bed. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the the clitoris didn't exist until 1982.
0: So <laughs> that is the occupational hazard you have with this podcast. Kat, yes. is there? None of these ge- you might bang some of them. They ain't giving a fuck about what you want in that bedroom. I I think we are going to stick him on the um, biochaptistry because Cass said she would bang him. Therefore, he is bangable. Therefore. He's on the tap battery.
1: And also, we've not actually had that many people go on to the tap battery because we have just done a series of absolute assholes. And... <laughs> it's pretty, pretty sparse,
2: and you need to kind of like populate it in some way. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. We
1: really do need to get yeah. the numbers up.
2: We were doing like
0: Nazis and like Ottoman rulers who butchered children. It was yeah. this this guy seems positively <laughs> sane compared to some of the, <laughs> the fucking mentalists we've done in the last few episodes of Gnathia. Gotcha. That's the end of the episode. Ignacio, do you have anything you would like to
2: promote before we depart? Yeah, if people want to give me a follow on social media or go to my website, everything's Comedy Lopez, much easier to find me that way than spelling my name. Uh, comedylopez.com and you get to see all my tour uh, information on there. Uh, I post clips of videos and fun stuff on my socials. And also there's a comedy album you can listen to for free on Spotify, Apple Music or wherever you, wherever you stream your music.
0: Excellent stuff. And you are going on tour, right? Yeah,
2: in October, around, all around the UK. Uh, and it's, uh, there will be some mentions of Spanish history in that, but if you really want to hear my most historical material, it is on my comedy album. So it's called Españolo. Like I said, on all different streaming platforms. But come see me live. That's the best way to do it. ComedyLopez.com. Uh, book a ticket to come see my tour.
0: Ignacio, you've been an excellent guest on this. You've got into the spirit of it. We're aware it's a very weird concept, <laughs> and I don't know you at all. So I was a bit nervous going into this. Like, what the fuck is this gonna be? Uh but uh no, it's been really good fun. Thanks for coming on. And listeners, please go on our social medias at Hot Not Pod across Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and share the shit out of our stuff share us two stories we tweet us we post little clips of these episodes online spread the word spread your legs as Cass says
1: and (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah it's time for our catchphrase remember (laughs) it's not what's on the outside it's what's on the inside of the coffin that counts (laughs) (laughs) bye bye You have been listening to Historical Hot or Not with me, Catherine Mather and Aidan McCaffrey. Theme song by David Eagle and our logo is by Richard Todd. You can head over to co bcom forward slash hotnotpod. Over there we've got some Hot Not merch. We are currently selling branded condoms and branded badges. Get over there while stocks last.